listeners, and welcome to this special issue of Painted by Quarterly's Slush Pile. Um, if you're a regular listener, you know that we take more time than other editorial boards, um, but we stand behind our methodology so much so that we're going to share our process with you through this podcast. So welcome to the editorial table, and welcome today to a very special episode, um, which marks a slightly different approach. We're going to take a backstage um, conversation here with um, one of the UAE's chief poetry scene makers. Um, his name is uh, Dorian Paul Rogers. He's a teacher, uh, originally hails from Georgia, um, and he has been pivotal in recognizing and cultivating a contemporary spoken word poetry scene here in the United Arab Emirates, particularly through a regular series called Rooftop Rhythms. And um, if you're a listener, you know that Kathleen Volkmiller and I went to one of Paul's shows in late September and were astounded by the talent and the energy in the room, um, so much so that we actually brought him in for this conversation. So, Dorian, welcome to the microphone. Welcome to the podcast. Thank and, you, Mary. Yay. Um, so I'm going to maybe just like open this up sort of like um, with big questions, right? So maybe you could tell us a little bit about Rooftop Rhythms, why you started Rooftop Rhythms, when you started Rooftop Rhythms, any kind of origin story you want to share with us about that project. Okay, well, I moved here in, on October 31st, 2011, and I come with an extensive uh, performance and poetry organizing background uh, since I was a college student at Florida State University. So technically on a superficial level, uh, the poetry show started about six months after I moved here. So in March 2012, we had our first show uh, at a small cafe called Cafe Arabia. And it was a big success relative to the events, the monthly events I planned in America, for example. There's so many poetry shows. So if you planned an event and 40 people came in America, this is like, oh, that was a success. So I was blown away with about 90 people yeah. at the first show and I think it was just an automatic success not particularly because of something genius that I did but uh, we had a big western expatriate crowd uh, mainly American teachers or teachers from the UK that were used to spoken word mm -hmm. so it really resonated with people at the time as there wasn't at the time a, a frequent open mic mm -hmm. so basically that's when Rooftop Rhythm started and the name was inspired actually by a private group of teachers uh, that were doing a monthly event in LA on a rooftop and they called it Poetry Slamming on the Roof. Mm -hmm. And so I attended that event and I requested, you know, I said, this name really hit me. I was inspired by your concept. And so I asked for permission. Can I call something Rooftop Rhythm? And they said, go ahead, do mm -hmm. your thing. And so the DJ of that show is the current DJ of our show. And we're all one big family. A lot of those performers still perform at the show. So that's kind of the basics to yeah. how Rooftop started. Yeah, that's great. I love that sense of like um, collaboration, like across these groups, right? Yeah. Because um, one of the things that I saw when I visited Rooftop Rhythms a couple years ago was just the sort of size and energy of the people in the room, right? And so coming from the United States where, you know, as you say, you're lucky if you get like 20, 30 people in a, in a, at a reading, um, I hadn't seen people gather like that since I was like at the Dodge Festival for Poetry or at the Associated Writing Programs conference where like just, you know, massive like-minded people show up. So I guess that's the, the thing I wanted to sort of celebrate here too is the way you've, you've organized this event that activates the stuff that was kind of already happening, right? But also gives people permission and inspires them to, to come and read their poems. Um, so the event that we saw in September, for instance, we had, there was like, you know, a, a a 12 year old sort of wrapped up the show. Um, somebody who's been part of the scene for quite a while was reading. Somebody who'd never read a poem before was reading. Like you had the whole community turn out for this. Well, I think that's the beauty of an open mic, you know, that where the quality may not always be there. There's this beautiful energy and synergy that comes with birth mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, birth of new ideas, you know, veteran energy. Um, and if you can really cultivate a supportive crowd, it's mm -hmm. just powerful where, you know, the crowd may clap louder mm -hmm. or more loudly for um, a first-time poet that's doing the hickory dickory doc, doc style <laughs> right, poem, right, you know. Right. And it's just, um, it's a supportive atmosphere. And, you know, I take no credit for for kind of cultivating this this energy that you see with like the, the virility now of performance poetry. There are many shows in the UAE now and, and they're all doing really well. 
But, you know, we try not to take full credit because we were given almost an alley-oop in the sense hmm. of, you know, the UAE and, and the GCC area has a rich history of storytelling and poetry telling. A lot of people don't know because of the maritime history from pearling and fishing, which was a big part of the economy uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Uh, through some research, I found out that the, the mer- I'm sorry, the people on what would it be the, it's so early here. I know. Was the person on the ship. <laughs> the fishermen <laughs> and the people traveling, they would travel for six months at a time. And they almost literally believed that when they wrote poetry or the, when they recited their their love letters to family members. Yeah. You know, there was no Skype at the time. Yeah. And, um, they literally believed that the poetry would get caught up in the sails of the ships and it would go back to their family. And so when I moved here, I was blown away. You know, as a poetry organizer, I was blown away that the first day I moved here, I'm flipping through the channels and it's like poetry channel number one, poetry channel number two. And so there's there has always been a rich uh, history of more of the Nabati poetry, which is more of a rhymy, mm-hmm. traditional Arabic form of poetry. And so when we really started getting the poetry going, we more so tapped into a big respect for an appreciation for poetry. And we were able to kind of tie it in with the new, with the old, and That's fantastic. kind of took off from there. That's fantastic. So I should pause for a second and say, um, our listeners might be familiar with the sound of that too. Yeah. Like it's a Does that mean it does like a long-winded response a lot? <laughs> no, no, not at all. But the other thing that we often do too is just describe where we're sitting for these interviews okay. so um, Dorian's here with me in my apartment has the cuckoo clock and my crazy cat has decided to sit with us while we have this conversation um, so if you hear Emiya talking she's just jealous of, of and envious of this lovely lovely rolling conversation I'd never heard that about poetry and the sails of these ships that's a magnificent image really magnificent image yeah man alright so that kind of like um, points me to a, another question and it's um sort of got two edges too which is like how is it that you think your experience as a as a poet and a poetry organizer back in the u.s um shapes the work that you're doing here well i think it's everything it it has made me everything i am today so a lot of people say man you're so you're humble you know you don't you don't take credit for when people say you're the ambassador of the scene and i so many people made me who i am today and so it's, it's so hard to say, oh, yeah, thanks, I did that. You know, so basically it all goes back to uh, as a freshman at Florida State University, I was more into hip hop. So I started hip hop at 15, 16, much like a lot of young people, uh, young millennials. And um, my, my rap was more like I got a beautiful girl in my car. You know, I'm looking really hard, you know, and this is like really basic, superficial work. I always had a knack for rhymes. And basically a friend freshman year said, man, we should really go to a poetry open mic. And my only mm-hmm. knowledge of poetry was kind of from an academic standpoint, you know, what we were force fed in school, like Robert Frost and Henry David Thoreau's uh, musings and things of that nature. And it was dead to me. Mm-hmm. And so poetry, I had heard a little bit about the last poets and the beat poetry movement, but really wasn't into it. And so basically I started going to a show called Back Talk Poetry Troop thrown by a group called Black on Black Rhyme. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people may listeners may say black on black rhyme that sounds a little racial but basically it was a counter movement and still is a counter movement against the stereotype of black on black crime so basically a positive initiative and so I was kind of swept off my feet that there was a platform where you could be positive and cool at the same time I had never uh, to be cool in my generation was to be a, a, an unemotional and a mm-hmm. thug type figure mm-hmm. uh, or a player or something like that a playboy and so to see that I could be positive and spiritual and socially acceptable at the same time, kind of just, it blew my mind. And the founder, Keith Rogers, he would take uh, freshman college students. We didn't know him. He wasn't in university. He was in his 30s. And he would take us on many poetry tours all over Florida. Mm-hmm. He would print CDs for, you know, $10, keep three and give us $7. So we were literally surviving off of our poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in safe spaces. He didn't take advantage of us. So these were all, to answer your question, these were all kind of 
uh, I was practicing at the time subconsciously on how to organize and the ethics of organizing and how to treat people, you know, equitably. Uh, uh, and so the, all these things kind of got me into event planning. And so I would just carry this group with me everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a student organizer, uh, culture and arts chairman at Florida State University. And I was able to bring in talent with a budget. When I moved to Atlanta to teach after university, I continued to plan events and, and start Black and Black Rhyme Atlanta. Started doing mini poetry festivals. So I'm sure you've heard of National Poetry Slam, which is very famous. Mm-hmm. The biggest regional one is called Southern Fried Poetry Slam. So I was able to help co-organize that. All of these things have kind of brought me to this point. And so it just, it made event planning more of a seamless yeah. experience for me. And it was just only natural when I moved here. Once I saw that there was an interest or a need for performance poetry, yeah. it was very seamless to to start yeah. organizing. Well, it's, I love talking to people who do that kind of work and, and you in particular because there's an art to it, right? Like there's a, it's sort of like I'm partially improvisational, like knowing who the right people are to connect and what, where the event should happen and who should be reading that night and how to read the crowd. And um, I say all that because having watched you do rooftop rhythms, um, I have two questions. One is about like how you sort of um, I'm going to say manage the audience, right? But manage is sort of a strong word. And that's the second question I have, because the first one goes back to what you were just describing about being an ambassador, right? Um, and creating scenes and drawing on your experiences, right, from the U.S. And at the moment, there's a show here on campus called um, Inventing Downtown, and it's at the NYU Abu Dhabi Art Gallery. Okay. And it's come over from New York, and it's, it's basically telling the story of, like, New York art galleries in the 50s and 60s, right? So this sort of, like, guerrilla, you know, um, arts project of, like, you know, we're not going to be coerced by the mainstream galleries. We're going to do our own thing downtown. And suddenly that becomes a scene, and then that becomes popular, and then that moves uptown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tell that story because Maya Allison, the curator there, talks about how it's so important for artists to be in a community, right? And that artists rarely are like fully formed solo, right? That they're they're creating each other all the time. Um, and that connects, I think, with a, a prior show that they had, which was called But We Cannot See Them. Okay. And this was about um, UAE arts and artists in like the, you know, the late 20th century, early 21st century, that just didn't seem like, you know, muckety-mucks in the art world were like, well, where are the artists in the UAE? They don't exist, they don't exist. And it's because they just couldn't see the scene, right? So I guess my first question for you is like, how did you find the scene here? And how would you describe the poetry scene in the UAE? And then my second question is about audiences, but we'll get there. Okay. And so, also, I didn't start performance poetry here either. So, the beautiful thing was there was there were already groups. Like I said, there was the private group of teachers that did poetry slamming on the roof. a great poet uh, named Hin Shafani. She started a group called the Poeticians, which I believe may have started as early as 2008, 2009. They were, uh, weren't doing an open mic, but it would be more of featuring their collective, and then they would highlight more up and coming artists as well that they would meet on the scene and incorporate them into their shows. Um, so basically there, were, there was already happenings going on from performance uh, poetry standpoint. So basically, the scene, it was easy to start. So basically, from 90 people in March uh, 2012, we immediately started a monthly show. And immediately, it just took off. So for 120 people, 150, mm-hmm. and then we just started regularly getting 200 and mm-hmm. per month for a long time. Uh, we started it more so in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, environment, which was slightly difficult because, you know, although hotels may have cultural initiatives, at the end of the day, they're revenue-based. And so there's a big pressure to not only bring a big crowd, but for them to spend. Um, Mm -hmm. In the beginning, with the early teacher crowds, there weren't a lot of social events for them. So basically, you would see those people coming in to socialize, Mm -hmm. and that was a a very needed reason of us saying respect the microphone, because you would have this guy trying 
to pick up a date for the night and this poet performing an amazing piece. And so we always were dealing with kind of uncomfortable dynamics. And as naturally more events started for the expatriates, it, uh, those people that weren't really there for poetry started filtering out. Mm-hmm. And we started getting more purists that were coming for poetry. But as a result, the revenue dropped, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe more uh, people wearing traditional dress, uh, people that follow Islam, mm-hmm. Islamic faith, they were not, of course, drinking um, as much or at all. And therefore, we continued to try to push for venues that more so supported the culture, even if the revenue wasn't there. Yeah. And so that's how we were able to eventually step out on faith and decide that we, we, we didn't need the revenue. We wanted a platform more than the revenue. And basically, uh, Bill Bragan stepped in and uh, started the Arts Center around that time. And he had attended some events and really believed in it. And he gave us a platform mm-hmm. in uh, November 2015. And so basically, we've we've had the platform ever since. And it's just been an amazing partnership as the show is now free for the general public. And there are no financial expectations as far as revenue standpoint. And it takes a lot of pressure off of me. So since then, the scene in the past three to four years, other younger groups that kind of either came up uh, inspired by the politicians or offshoot members of their group, people that were inspired by our show said, I I can play on myself, which is great because that's how I started. You know, I I came up with an organization, but I moved here. And also I kept that group with me in my heart, but also started my own initiative. So you have amazing, you know, groups of monthly poetry open mics like Backyard Poetry. You have Blank Space. Backyard is in Abu Dhabi. There's another group called Echoes in Abu Dhabi. And then Dubai, uh, Dubai Slam uh, hasn't started back up this season yet. Uh, poetry with the Punch uh, was started by a, a former politicians member and a Blank Space. So you have all these monthly open mics. And so every week you can look online and you'll see a poetry open mic. And they're also branching into workshops and trying to build the scene in the community. These groups are now collaborating more with each other. Mm-hmm. So your question of how do I find the scene, um, it's just grown so much yeah. from five years ago. Yeah. From very isolated events um, to now not only being a lot of events, but people try, uh, starting to understand that we aren't in competition, yeah. that we may all serve diff- different purposes and platforms, but um, we are one movement. And I think that's the only reason, as you're talking about other movements in New York, the only way that a real movement can get going is when you put the competition to the side or the egos and understand that kind of we are now a part of a living history and something that we hope will just skyrocket from here. Yeah, and it's so exciting to see it too, right? Like just in the last four years that you're describing, like the the growth and the change, right? So just to like you know underline that part, to have gone from um, international hotels where you were doing that dance between like people who are coming to have cocktails and socialize, and also to listen to poems, or not to have cocktails and only listen to poems, right? That that was a revenue generating model. That is totally like familiar to us at the Painted by Quarterly. We used to do like um, you know poetry readings and, and tie them to sort of the performance of bands in Philadelphia. We would do this at like Doc Watson's and the Kyber Pass, and we'd barely make enough money to pay the band for the night, right? Or it was like a big deal if we could order them like a, you know a pitcher of beer and a couple of pizzas, right? But it was like that. Our heart was our hearts were so in it as part of the just the work of making PBQ um, a part of the culture and the scene in, in Philadelphia at the time. And then again, and, and doing that in New York. Um, and these readings are so important, like for the for the poets, but also for the editors of the magazine too, sort of like create that sense of cohesion and scene. So it's interesting to think about how that manifests here where alcohol is haram, right? For for people who are um, you know, practicing, right? Uh, if they're if you're Muslim you can't you can't do that, right? And and then the expats are swimming in it, right? Like, well it comes back to home and safe space. I mean for yeah. any movement to thrive, specifically poetry in the UAE, you have to have a safe space. And so we got into all of these awkward moments we were at uh, one venue where it had licensing to be a lounge restaurant slash bar so mm-hmm. people uh, with traditional dress could come to enjoy the restaurant portion mm-hmm. so the beauty of the venue at the time was the windows were retractable as far as like to 
the wall of the building. So we were inside doing poetry. We could open the windows completely, slide them so that it's an open space. But because alcohol was in the indoor part, we had people in traditional dress or Muslims um, that were, you know, all of them practiced the faith. So basically they weren't allowed to be, because of their religion, can't be around alcohol. Mm -hmm. So although we're pushing and promoting an inclusive environment and that did stay true from a hosting and content standpoint, you're having a self-segregation going on where the people in traditional dress are sitting outside. So there was this awkward environment Mm -hmm. where you're claiming inclusivity and it's not it's not really happening there. There was no offense taken because they understood, but it was just these weird dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so that automatically started shifting away as that crowd wanted to come and be a part of the movement. They didn't feel fully comfortable there yeah. or their parents didn't always feel comfortable with them being there. The parents may visit with them and say, wait, I saw someone with a beer. And so that affects home, mm-hmm. right? If your rule is to take your shoes off and I want to keep them on, mm-hmm. even though you may have the best of intentions, I'm not comfortable, you know? So these dynamics were really getting us to a point three years ago where it was like, how long can this even survive? And so I can't speak enough about the Art Center at NYU Abu Dhabi because then, you know, also the financial requirements, those were taken away and it just took this burden that, that you felt probably in Philadelphia, it just took it away so I could focus on the content and now we really feel like there's a home. No one's uncomfortable, all ages are accepted. And another pivotal point for me was uh, November 2015, the month before the venue we were at said, hey, the money's not there. If you want this venue this month, we, you have to guarantee us 2000 US dollars in revenue. <laughs> And, you know, I had made made some money off of revenue in the past, so I didn't look at it like a total loss, but I said, okay, how much did we make last month? And maybe it made $800. So I knew there was a chance that if it doesn't make it, I had to spend the money. At this point, the movement had taken taken off. So I was in this weird position where it was like, if I didn't guarantee that money, the show had to take a break for a month. Mm -hmm. But it became, and if you, you know, I'm sure you've been a part of movements. Movements are, at a certain point, they become, it's survival. Mm -hmm. Someone could be suicidal that month, or someone could be performing for the first time. That's the only time they're gonna come, that one month. And so I knew there was, there was no question in my thought process. I couldn't cancel the show. Mm -hmm. It was a month, it had been going monthly for two or three years at a time. I had no other options. So I just guaranteed that amount of money and it didn't make anywhere close to that guarantee. And that moment I pulled out like 1200 US dollars of my own money and paid that guarantee. And I just said, Allah, God, just God, please never again. I can't, <laughs> this is not sustainable. And very shortly after I went to Bill, we were talking about meeting and I just went to him honestly out of desperation and said, you know, we're talking about working together. Can you please provide a space? Yeah. And he showed me many uh, art center spaces and they just didn't fit at the time. And he was able to take me into this venue called the Marketplace. And he said, you know, I don't have full jurisdiction over this venue, but I'll really try my best. Mm-hmm. And they had a very small, financial expectations from a revenue standpoint. And that was the only thing is like, you know, can people buy cafe items and things of that nature? And from that point, so we're talking two years ago now, actually, I think to this month, two years, this is our anniversary, two year anniversary of being at that venue. Wow. And so I didn't have a budget or anything at the time. He said, I can give you a space. But I I was like, I'm cool with paying a DJ and a photographer if you can give us a space. And so uh, I think that's a thing that you'll hear about any movement or institution is home. Yeah space, cultural space, right. and now we're doing that with the Louvre and our, our backdrop, but the UAE has now invested so much into cultural spaces and homes, and I think now you're really about to see uh, even more thriving yeah. going on here. So, you know, I, I want to pull some of those threads, too, because, like, okay, first of all, we should like candles and, and Jenny Fleck and Bill Bragan's general direction, right? So Bill is the executive artistic director of the Art Center here, and his team, you know, Chris Pye, Christian, Mana, Simon, Roger, Lindsay, Lindsay um, they're just phenomenal, right? Like just phenomenal team that, that allows artists to do their work um, and pulls audiences together. 
good to enjoy. Yes. You know, they've got this wild season and, and they're forever reaching out to faculty to say, can you bring your students? Do you want to bring your yeah. students? Do you see ways in which there are connections? And I, I say that because that's one of the things I saw really like, you know, um, get traction here is like the diversity that you cultivated outside in those hotel spaces, right? The sort of wild collection of people who were attending the shows. You could see it again here at, yeah. at right on campus in the marketplace, right? Which is basically like a, you know, a, a high-end cafeteria lunchroom, yeah. <laughs> so or like a food court. It kind of feels like a food court, yeah. right? And I think it's a, it's a, it's it's a never-ending argument to try to claim you're the biggest show or anything. So we don't want to get into the attendance numbers because th- that can change tomorrow. Yeah. You, know, you can't get yeah. caught up in how many people. You want to focus on the experience. But I, I, I argue that there is not a, a show more diverse from a nationality standpoint. Yeah. And that, that again, is another testament to the campus, yeah. uh, the diversity of the students and faculty, but also, you know, the country. Right. Uh, you know, nationalities from all over the place. So just to butt in very quickly, I just, that's my number one prideful uh, uh, testament is just, you're sitting next to a person from China and next to a person from the Philippines, from UK, Germany. And so I think that adds to the diversity of thought. Yeah. Uh, well, it's true. I mean, it's so true. Like, I wish our listeners could, could, could see that space. Like, Kathy was sitting next to me, right? Cue high-resolution picture poetry. <laughs> Insert. Uh-huh. Right? Well, that's actually a really great idea. We need to be sticking uh, links and uh, pictures in. But Kathy, like, leaned forward, right, and looked down the row, and it was, like, 15 faces from around the world, cool. 15 different countries, right? And then she looked back and she just like checked an elbow at me and was just like, we're both ready to burst into tears because of the, the energy and the quality of the work and the, the intensity of, of the spoken word, you know, open mic event, right? So it was it was really quite lovely. So, um, but the, I guess the, the other thread, the diversity thread I wanted to pull um, and then the home thread I wanted to pull. And I've heard you say and talk about this sometimes, and this goes back to managing audiences, right? Spoken word in the U.S., you hand somebody a microphone, you have no idea what's going to come out of their mouths necessarily because we're sort of, you know, we pride ourselves on freedom of speech, right? In the, the UAE, it's a little bit more tricky, right? So what are the rules of engagement? How do you how do you get participants to be both um, sort of like free and, and inspired and creative, but also respectful of local culture, local norms? And we we're kind of talking about this with the alcohol problem, yeah. right? But there's some other pressures, and I, I wonder how you think about that. Well, let me first off preface that with the fact that UAE uh, has a rich history started by uh, Sheikh Zayed, known as Baba Zayed, to many people uh, as he's the father of this amazing nation. I've been here for about six years. And so this is not fluff when I say that uh, may Allah rest his soul. He had a very rich history as far as the, wanting the UAE at the time where it may have been more conservative Islam going on in the GCC area. He wanted the UAE to be progressive as far as in not only just having foreign workers or expatriates come here, but to feel like they had a home away from home. So it's it's kind of rare in this area where you will see the establishment of churches and other religious institutions that are not of, of Islamic faith. They are here very, very present. Uh, he gifted them with land and you know helped them build their buildings, which is kind of unheard of at the time in the 70s and 80s and things of that nature. So although your listeners that may have not visited this area, it's very easy to turn on your news outlets in America and have a stereotype of what the Arab world is like, or they may think that it's oppressive and things of that nature. So there are definitely different rules and expectations, but I just preface that with the fact that I've always felt that I've had a voice to express myself, but to do it in a way that I'm a guest of another country. So I never came with an American mentality that oh, I, I want to do this poem about George Bush and I, I want to do this poem where I curse and I'm not going to be restricted by anyone else. I never felt that way because I think some people are just born to be a, uh, you know, culturally sensitive person or some are humble enough to say, let me learn. Mm-hmm. 
it, it just this place would never fit for a person that just feels that their country or their culture is the right culture. Yeah. And you'll see that a lot as people travel. They say, "Oh, I don't like this country. It's dirty. It's mm-hmm. filthy." But from what bent or what from what perspective? Mm-hmm. So I say all that just to say that although there may be a different type of expression allowed here, it's not a oppressive or restrictive type of expression. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that I have freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. With that being said. Um, as uh, Islam is the, the religion here and it permeates to a lot of the culture, there are different uh, expectations when it comes to what people may consider appropriate. Mm-hmm. So there are appropriateness laws when it comes to kind of chastity as far as how you carry yourself, how single people um, can can um, socialize with others as far as like you being in someone else's house and things like that. Mm-hmm. There are laws and expectations and, and those same laws also come to the performance or public speaking platform. Mm-hmm. And so we've always self-policed and thank God we haven't had ever any complaints or we've never you know, been warned or anything. And that's a miracle every show that I see because you're having you know, 25 to 30 people that have not been vetted, um, but you set a tone, we message them before the show, and the basic expectations are no cursing or vulgarity that can get them arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a part, uh, you've heard people have been arrested for like giving the middle finger in traffic incidents yeah. or calling someone an animal name or related, you know, mm-hmm. curse word or saying mm-hmm. something in America that would not even get you a fine, right. for example. Um, also, we self-police and say, you know, no speaking of any politics that may be associated with this country. Mm-hmm. So the UAE does allow for you to speak about humanity, and the UAE does invest a lot into helping people all over the world. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as getting involved in uh, the government's choices and decisions, we stay clear away from that. Mm-hmm. And also, um, as uh, Islam is the religion of this country, we don't promote other religions, so that would equate to proselytizing. Yeah. So churches in your church, you can uh, celebrate your religion, but we're not. You wouldn't be able to go into the streets and recruit people to your religion. And to me, all these things are commonsensical. Yeah. And also, we self-police as far as that safe space. You know, that's a gray area where it may not be cursing, but it wouldn't be appropriate to get up and start speaking about someone that you would consider overweight or have a special ability or mm-hmm. something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So these are commonsensical things that I think I will even take with me when I organize in America. I just took it for granted and said, that's hey, freedom of speech. Okay. But what if someone gets up there and just, they do something that's kind of unanimously disgusting. Right. So these rules are, have now, uh, you know, I've internalized them mm-hmm. and it's an expectation. And, and again, Bill is a genius also from a curation standpoint. He said, Dorian, it sounds restrictive if you get on stage and say these rules. Yeah. Now it's no, no, no. But if this is an inclusive safe space, then you know, message those people f- before the show. And I fought with him and said, no, no, I think it's really needed. You know, one bad word could get us shut down. And he said, well, yeah, you enforce that on the back end, yeah. on the front end. Let's keep it all positive and, wow, and, and affirmative. And, and, and I like that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but that, so that, that's a real knife edge, right, in a way, right? Like you, because it's open and, and, and improvisational and, you know, people are doing work extemporaneously. I will say, listeners, if, if you've had a chance to listen to some of the clips from the show that we've included okay. um, from the 29th, there are some of the most, like, politically acute critiques of politics in the United States, right? Um, there are critiques and, and, and sort of reflections on black masculinity that are just, like, gutting and specific in, in a way that reminds me of, like, the sort of American value of freedom of speech, but it's just, like perpendicular to be in the UAE and the UAE and your stage becomes a platform for that critique in a way that is meant to soothe mm-hmm. right what's broken right in the in, in, in the I'm going to use the phrase the expat part right like so from people all over the world sitting there listening to people who are critiquing their home countries is fascinating inside the house rules right yeah, of the it, UAE it is within the house rules and uh, it's, it's very cathartic for many of us that are from other places mm-hmm. because there's very much so a depression that can come with outside from the outside looking in yeah. so I've heard a friend recently say um, he's moving back to America and I said well you know is the money good here the 
cartoon, he said, well, I'm doing better than I ever have, but I'm tired of seeing my people getting gunned down oh, right. and killed, and right. I feel like I need to be there. And I said, well, would you protest, or what would you be doing? Why would you go all the way back for that? Can't you do that? Can't you speak out on that from here, if, or, or do something? And he said, well, I just have to be in proximity. Like, I want to... You know, you volunteer and show youth, yeah. you know, train them on what to do if there's a police right. stop. But there's a guilt that goes on. And I think sometimes when you see the speaking, there's not a yearning to speak out against any involvement of the UAE, but there's like this yearning of I'm not in America. And I see what, uh, sorry to all the Trump supporters, but uh, I see what Donald Trump is doing. <laughs> she gives me a thumbs up. <laughs> okay. So please don't unsubscribe from this uh, pop. Or do. Uh, <laughs> um, out against what they feel is unjust in their own countries a lot of times. And that's not always the case with the poetry, but I do notice that a lot because there is this disconnect of not being there or leaving, and there's a guilt sometimes that that comes with leaving. So, yeah, I also notice that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm reminded of the image we started with, which is the poetry and the sails, right? So while you're you're sort of out in the world and you're you're on the seas and you're thinking of love poems to send home, in some ways it's like, you know, watching people who are far from home and creating home in a new place, like sending these missives, sending these, these in a way, love letters, right? These political poems are love letters. In like in the sails, right? And it's, they're, they're just speaking them out into the world with, you know, hope that they they land, right? And mm-hmm. safe, safely. And there's also, I mean, I'd be remiss to say that there, there's, to, to not include that there's also a changing uh, tide and a and, a, and an energy going on because of a lot of the changes that are going on in this all over the world, but particularly in this part of the world. So the UAE is continuing to require security documents yeah. for, for speakers, yeah. and we're totally abiding by that because they want to know, you know, who's speaking and what's being said. So we have totally open door policy, and uh, while we're self policing, we also totally welcome right. uh, the jurisdiction that's needed to make sure that it is positive conversation going on, and there's nothing that could be challenging. Right. Uh, the, the hard work that this country has put into to building this type of atmosphere where people do feel free, you know. So we're very thankful to the country, to the university. Um, but it is a balancing act. Every show, every performance, and there's always 1% of me like that's crossing my fingers. <laughs> but we have a plan, you know. If someone can't respect the rules, then we will have to immediately respond. I think people understand that things can happen that are unpredictable, but yeah. what is your response in that situation? Yeah. And how did you attempt to... to, to to juggle that and that is an extra burden but it's something that we welcome and like I said for five to six years we've been able to to juggle that well yeah yeah so I have just a couple more questions but okay. boy oh boy Dorian like this this question of like like self-policing like poetry police and, and we maybe need a new word I, right? but you know what though it's right on the nose because it, you know police I, has such a negative connotation I think energy at the center of this. It's not all like happiness and daisies and unicorns, right? And spinning calliopes, right? It's it's risky business, right? And yet people turn out for it and people are so grateful for the for the excitement and the energy mm-hmm. that they're they're giving and getting in that, that transaction. And I guess, you know, I, I'm going to continue to think about that long term because, um, you know, NYU Abu Dhabi is a risky project, too. And it's forever being sort of accused of um, sort of nefarious deeds, right, um, in terms of academic freedom or a lack thereof, um, uh, its treatment of labor or its poor treatment. Um, all of that's in the news. And in, in fact, um, colleagues back at some of the uh, academic programs in the square are talking about cutting ties with NYU Abu Dhabi on, on this point, right, of academic freedom, self-policing, censorship, can you, do you have freedom right. inside the classroom? So, um, you know, I, you and I have had conversations about the role of spoken word poetry in the curriculum mm-hmm. or in the sort of co-curricular space. I think that question is a live one, yeah. right? Like, how is it that you are mindful of people's ideas and their politics and, and what you get to say in the under-the-house rules right. of the country you're in? 
All right, sermon over. Um, my, two more questions for you. So um, one of them has to do with poetry moments. Um, do, can you can you think of a, a moment that sticks with you, a moment of transcendence, either of a poet or a, an audience or a particular uh, instance in rooftop rhythms history that's still with you? It is so hard because there's so many, and I know it sounds cliche, but every show you're seeing, like I said, every first time performance, you know, you're seeing someone, I see people in the crowd and I, and I say, are you a writer? And they say, yes, but you know, just write for me. We would never want to push that person out of the comfort zone, but you have others that want to get to the stage, but they're just yeah. terrified. Yeah. And I think every show, whether they get up or not, it's just like one nudge uh, closer to get them getting up there. But when you see people getting up in front of 200 people or 250 people for the first time, whether that poem is groundbreaking or not, you know, I know that there's a chance five years from now that this could be the world's top poet. And I've seen a lot of these poets. So the journey, you know, a lot of people say it's not always the end result, but the journey. So being a part of the shows for so long, I have seen people, you know, that are professional poets at this point, but started at that you know, close to hickory diggory doc yeah. type yeah. performance level. So I think it's just so hard to ask me that question, but uh, there are one or two moments that I think stand out more than others. So last season, a slam champion, um, Palestinian poet by way of Canada, Sarah Al-Suki. She is um, a page poet and a stage poet. Very, very good at both. She has been a big supporter of the, the poetry scene in the UAE for years, and she also works with students with special abilities or special needs, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly the hearing impaired community. And so she has amazing poetry uh, in ASL language, and then also she has students in the community. So basically she reached out one day and said, you you know, I have eight students that would love to come perform. And so I didn't know what to expect. I knew it would be a beautiful moment just, just to see student, students who are different, mm-hmm. uh, unique, be able to share their, their perspective. And so basically, she said that likely, you know, we're not sure how they'll accept the environment. There's a lot of energy and noises and things of that nature. So we're not sure how they'll respond, but, you know, we'll be on the front row and we may perform and leave. Mm. And so they came and I mean, one got up and did a standing ovation by himself, you know, and he was just so into it. I think they really internalize the positive energy. Um, And those, that's why we say special abilities because while someone may say a disability, what if that person is more, um, they have more empathy, you know, they are able to to understand energy, and magnetism or vibrations in other people. And you would see that in, in literal physical displays of joy and things of that nature. But when they came to the stage, they did a group poem about like, I am different, I am special because of whatever whatever prompt they had. And then they would just go into these individual experiences of why do you, you know, it was speaking directly to the crowd as a almost as a bully. Why do you treat me this way? Why, why do you bully me or joke on me and things of that nature? This is why I'm beautiful. And I mean, everyone was emotional and crying. And I just think it was a beautiful moment to see that. And when you claim inclusivity, like, are you really inclusive? And I think that was a moment where it all came kind of full circle where people of all walks of lives can come up on stage and be accepted. And poetry, that's more of a of an ode to poetry itself is that when you really have a strong community, it's like we celebrate everyone right. at, um, for whatever whatever is their unique ability. And so that was probably my, my most special moment, uh, credit to Sarah Alsuki. Yeah, I, Dorian, I could listen to you go on, right? I mean, there's, there's something about the way you root for artists and root for novices and just root for people to express themselves that is reminds me of the, the like straight up power of this poetry world, right? And the way we sort of commit to um, bringing great writing into the world and supporting the writers that we know and growing those who um, might have you know, the tongue of God, so to speak, right? Like who are, are feel like they, they, they need to express the, the things they need to express. When you look anywhere in research, you know, there's research on, about positive self-expression yeah. and how it reduces depression. And mm-hmm. that's why you go to campuses and they have call centers yeah. for depression. You know, you're, you're expressing yourself and what you're going through. And so I know it saved or changed my life. And I know that I would be totally down a different route if it wasn't for having a weekly or monthly platform to hear other thoughts. If you love wisdom, if you're not a fool, then you can learn the lesson. Why is 
man can learn a lesson from something that they have yet to experience. So if this person is talking about domestic violence or about how maybe he committed domestic violence, right? So if I've never been through that, I can learn from that and say, oh, never allow myself to be triggered to make a violent act. Yeah. And so I've learned life lessons. I've been able to to just transform my mind through a platform of poetry. And so I think because it changed my life, we won't get too much into childhood, but we've all dealt with issues of acceptance, self-acceptance, uh, bullying, um, mm-hmm. mental health, abandonment, uh, neglect. I've, I've had different feelings like as a child. So to find, going back to a home, mm-hmm. a safe space where I can build a community of people that accept me mm-hmm. and I become a superstar in a sense, simply because the words of my mouth, mm-hmm. um, you'll hear many poets, uh, Solomon Toss, who yes. hosted our event last night, of uh, the UAE's first spoken word artist. He, he speaks on that as that. He was an awkward child, a teenager. He was, you know, bullied and picked on. And if you see him post the show, he's the most confident guy in the world. And that's not a credit to Rooftop or any specific show, mm-hmm. but the fact that he has built uh, reasonable fame from his poetry. Mm-hmm. He's the most confident guy in the world. And so that's, again, an ode to self-expression. And so when you hear me celebrate people yeah. or the movement, it's a very tangible thing. And uh, yeah. I think poetry definitely saves lives. Well, I'll writing you, in general. i tell you, yes, right? And the thing that I think I, I find so fascinating about Rooftop Rhythms, then one more question, right, is this... Um, your capacity to, to emphasize diversity and the public safe space, right? So you've got poets, as you mentioned, right? Um, Emirati poets, po- poets who are speaking Malayalam. You've got, a, you know, a first year freshman who's, you know, uh, thinking about her own experiences. You've got a 12-year-old boy thinking about his experiences, right? The, the diversity, right? But And then the sort of universals, right? So the fact that, like, as you're talking about this, like, you've got the the sort of wild potential for chaos in that diversity, but you set up a structure that's a routine, right? And this goes back to the thing that I heard you value, too. Like, you don't know what your audience is taking out of that experience or, or feeling a need for, right? And that the routine of this series allows that person to rely on the exchange, right? And and that becomes a, a sort of um, a lovely uh, structure for for the chaos that we, we live in too, right? Just to know that Rooftop Rhythms is coming at the end of the month. And I say that because we do it in Philly, right? We've got uh, events at the Pen and Pencil. Is that monthly? Yeah, and we have an Monthly is such a good time. Right? I think so. Weekly is kind of like... It's, it's too much work. <laughs> Yeah, but energy hasn't even, uh, right. if you talk about energy and vibrations, it hasn't even fully been allowed to settle. Right. You know, right. that you may take settle, three days. And then you got to crave, right? There's, there's that wave towards, like, desire. Then you have to then, promote and re-energize. Exactly. If you're doing a weekly show, exactly. that show's on Saturday, on Sunday, you're like, okay, everybody get ready. And then right. it becomes a different energy now, which is maybe a rushed energy. Right. But a month allows people to rest a little, yeah. you know, re-energize and, and look forward to it. And so I, I right. fully support monthly concepts yeah. or even bi-monthly. Yeah. So, Again, listeners, we're, we're in this lucky position of having had Dorian talk to us about his um, capacities as the poetry ambassador, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm going to ask you a question you asked your audiences. Hey, Dorian, are you a writer too? I am a writer, and uh, like I said, I started from hip-hop, and uh, basically I was a creative writing major as a freshman, and I think I was strongly influenced by the poetry platform. Uh, uh, an uncle told me um, writers rarely make money, and so Marion, you're, uh, you're a testament to that being untrue, but uh, he said, you know, you get a degree from a university that says, congratulations, you're a writer, here's your certificate to write. He yeah. said, that's not really a tangible job. Yeah. And so for me, I agree with it at the time, and I'm very happy. I went into English education, so teaching is is more solid as opposed to I've also done full time writing and performing. Um, but what I like about it is that I'm able to use my career to sustain my writing and creative efforts. Um, but yeah, I've always been a writer and um, mostly a spoken word artist, which more so heavily relies on rhythm and rhyme. Um, but that has also changed over the years. So you're seeing national slam champions like Patricia Smith, who's a national book award finalist. Um, a lot of her work may not rhyme at all, you know, so poetry or for those out there that hear spoken word and you think hip hop mm-hmm. without music, it's just not the case. So I challenge you to, you know, YouTube button poetry or HBO deaf poetry, jam poetry, or just YouTube spoken word. And you're seeing, you know, more of a pro style craft that's going on where it's very tied into the academics 
mm-hmm. a lot of times, but you're also seeing still the older school of rhyme. Yeah. And so I'm always on a journey to, um, you know, I teach a workshop called Breaking the Chains of Rhyme, where it's like I want to get away from the over-reliance of what you would, you know, of rhyme or what you would think when you hear that term mm-hmm. spoken word. So I'm still on a journey myself to actually to be published by the Painted Bride very soon. You know, I would love to be published. And um, so that, that's also a pursuit of mine is also to be re- just as respected on page as I am yeah. on stage. Yeah. Well, um, as a way of wrapping up this conversation, would you like Don't to use rap. It? We just said that spoken word is not, not rap, rap no, right? Sorry. That's a nice, that's funny. Maybe that's the title of, of this episode. Wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you be um, willing to share some work with us? As I'll, a, I'll be glad to. Oh, how fantastic! All right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready. All right, Mary, you have to snap your fingers like we're at a poetry show. Next to the mic, Dorian Rogers. All right, this is called Persona Poem of a Cheeto. Mock the size of my hands, you know, all you want. They're perfect. I mean, just just, just absolutely perfect. You know, perfect enough to press the button or buttons that it takes to unleash over 7,000 nuclear warheads in my arsenal. The day that one of you minorities tilts the scale and attempts to take my pure German blood out of the majority. Yeah, that's right. I'll blow crust, mantle, and core to smithereens before you get the chance to cyber bully me again on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's I was like, absolutely, you know, this is very, very perfect. I've seen every one of your posts and comments, and I will find your IP addresses. My FBI is working on it as I speak. We are around the corner in that dark van parked two doors down from that small shack you call a home. So what if I grab females in their nether regions? It's only sexual harassment if they don't want it, and women never know if they want it or not until you just go for it, you know. I'm a go getter. I'm a go grabber. Yeah, that's right. A go grabber. I like that. You know, I, I, I very, very, very much like that. Uh, I'm a Twitter genius that can consume your day in 140 characters or less. And I, I think they just said it's 280 characters. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, like really, you know, like really amazing. I'm about to make an executive order that will make Twitter allow me all the characters I want because I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Just turn on the news. Liberal, false news outlets or conservative channels. It doesn't matter. They're all consumed by you, me. Yeah, they're all consumed by me. Used to see news about police brutality, right? Or you remember Good Samaritans going viral? Not anymore. It's all about me, and that's how I want it. I'm the center of tension, the topic of your conversation. I, I love the blacks. As, as long as they stay in their ghettos or mow my lawns in Mar-a-Lago for less than the illegals do. Yeah, mock the size of my hands all you want. They're just big enough to clap the earth when I'm hungry. I chew on China and stow it in my lower lip like cud, like snuff. I swallow Russia whole until I'm Putin. Putin. I'm the one you voted for. Now you're stuck with me, so come closer and be grasped and choked by these tiny little hands. And it's going to be excellent. It's going to be very beautiful. Let me tell you. Persona poem of a Cheeto. Podcast listeners, wow. Thank you so much, Dorian. That was an extraordinary performance and a wonderful conversation. And thank you, thank you, thank you for just talking to us about the global power of poetry. I love it. All right. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Wait, podcast listeners, you should tune into the website or something. Kathy will stick on a, an outro for this so it makes some sense. To website. <laughs> exactly. And all other things, right? So we'll link to Rooftop Rhythms. We'll um, include anything about the album, right? We didn't even talk about that, but we can play, link and promote everything that you, you want. Sounds great. Great. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Let me don't let nobody move while I try to go.